Hello and welcome to the Helix Reviews Podcast. My name is David Arrington, bringing you reviews from a Christian geek worldview. And today on the show, I'm going to be talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. So the third Ant-Man movie, the introduction to Phase 5 of the MCU. And kind of really starting off with a bang hair, introducing Kang the Conqueror who's supposed to be a major Thanos-esque villain moving forward in the MCU. Without any further ado, let's jump into this review. You're an interesting man, Scott Lang. You're an Avenger. You have a daughter. But you've lost a lot of time, like me. We can help each other with that. Ant-Man and Wasp Quantum Mania. Scott Lang, Hope Van Dyne, Hank Pym, and Janet Van Dyne, and also Scott's daughter Cassie, are accidentally sucked into the quantum realm where they come face to face with the villain known as Kang the Conqueror. Who are you? I'm the man who can give you the one thing you want. What's that? Time. It can rewrite existence and shatter timelines. You cannot trust him. I don't care who this guy is. I just lost so much. He can give us a second chance. Themes, messages, ideas. This is the part of the show where I talk about some of the themes and things that stuck out to me while watching Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. So, uh, this movie, I don't think it's going to get you thinking way too much. It's not like a particularly deep movie by any means. Now, that said, there's a few things that stuck out to me here. Uh, this is a very pro-family movie, very family-positive kind of movie, very uh, pro-fatherhood. You know, there, there's a father and daughter connection is very much kind of at the core of this movie and it is very uplifting those kind of roles as you know this is a good thing and this this good family relationship is a good thing uh, which is a good positive message there I would say uh, you know you see uh, you know a father here Scott Lang who is willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice for the sake of his daughter kind of portraying the uh, ultimate epitome of love you know uh, John 15 13 greater love has no one than this than someone lay down his life for his friends and so kind of the uh, portrayal of the the ultimate form of love here so some good stuff there uh, there's the idea that uh, no matter how far gone you are there's always hope for redemption which I guess is kind of a classic Ant-Man theme you know in the in the first movie he's a thief that is ultimately gets redeemed in that movie and becomes the hero you know so uh, kind of, I guess kind of a classic Ant-Man kind of theme coming back here with the focus kind of on a, a different character here that I, I won't go into too much for fear spoilers or anything uh, but this is a good message here I mean uh, you go to first Corinthians 6 uh, and you got Paul talking to the Corinthians and he says you know do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God you know do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral nor the idolaters nor the adulterers nor the men who practice homosexuality nor the thieves nor the greedy nor the drunkards nor the revelers nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God 
But then he says, and such were some of you. And so he's saying, hey, look, guys, you were these people. You were the the worst of the worst. You were the bad guys, you know. But then he says that you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. So, yes, even though, you know, you may be down this dark path or you may think that you're too far gone, you never actually are too far gone for redemption. Uh, now, obviously, this doesn't go in the Christian direction with it, but it does kind of have that that theme of there is hope for redemption, even if you are uh, turning villainous or what not. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's uh, pretty well done in here. Again, not necessarily presented in a way that's going to leave you thinking about it way too deeply, but it is uh, definitely a theme that's in here. Uh, there's also kind of a weird like pro-socialism message thrown in here just very briefly, but it's just like thrown in here. And I'm, I, I was just kind of like, wait, what? Really? That's okay. Is that what we're going for here? <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of weird. Uh, but Honestly, watching this movie, it's it's not anything that would, you know, again, get you thinking too deeply or anything, but I think it is refreshing watching this Marvel movie and going, you know, this is not very woke. This is not like a super woke or obnoxious woke kind of messages popping up in here, like has been popping up in some of the recent Marvel movies, unfortunately. And so watching this, I'm kind of, I find it kind of refreshing that they that they're not having some of that stuff in here and so it's like okay you know is this them learning their lesson or there just wasn't a lot of stuff in here in the first place or or what's going on i don't know but it is kind of nice that some of that stuff is not in here there is like feminist stuff in here uh, which i sometimes lump into the woke category but uh, because i think it's just uh, it's two sides of the same coin ultimately but i uh, i think that uh, you know so there is some of that kind of stuff in there but it's not it's not definitely not a movie that i would describe as is a woke movie and it's it's to me this seems like a definitely a step back towards what the MCU was before Endgame you know and in, in, in the the main big part of the MCU back when it was really firing on all cylinders before it kind of slowed down and is not quite on that same level that it was a few years ago uh so yeah let's get to the review let me make this easy for you Bring me what I need. Or everything you call a life will end. I enjoy the previous Ant-Man movies. I think they are uh, very fun, fun additions to the MCU. I think uh, that they did a good job of setting up this new character, this new very kind of down-to-earth and kind of relatable character while making it very goofy. The these movies, they're very fun, but they're lower-tier MCU movies in my opinion. And so going into this, I was, uh, I, I was, you know, thinking, okay, maybe it's going to be on the level of those movies, maybe hoping for a little bit more because they're introducing somebody like Hang the Conqueror, you know, which makes me think, okay, you, you got to push, maybe push the, the level up a little bit more here, maybe going into the review here. I mean, Paul Rudd back as Ant-Man, he's great. He, uh, th they really chose the perfect guy for this, just kind of a very, uh, down-to-earth, relatable, everyman type of, of actor playing this character here. Just very well done there. I am glad that they made Scott less of a loser in this movie. I think that's something that they kind of pushed maybe a little bit too far in Ant-Man and the Wasp. He's still kind of, the, you know, the the goofy guy that's, that's you know, he still is kind of that character, but they, I, again, I think they just pushed the too much into him just kind of being a, a loser or him being kind of dumb in the last movie, and they, they pulled back on that a little bit, which I think is a 
good thing. Cassie Lang here, aka Ant-Man's daughter, I liked her, I liked the dynamic that she has with her father in this movie, I think that aspect is really well done. You know, she's kind of trying to, to stretch her legs and, and do some things that uh, her father doesn't always approve of, and, and rightfully so, I, I think, with some of those things. Uh, but Scott is trying to be, you know, a good father, and he's trying to correct her while also encouraging her. And then, you know, the kind of the dynamic they end up with with these two characters, I think, is is really well done. And, and to me, is kind of what carries the emotional weight of the movie in a lot of ways, because I think those two characters are very well done. Janet Van Dyne in here, played by Michelle Pfeiffer, introduced in the last movie. Uh, she has a much bigger role this time than she did in the last movie. And, you know, she's pretty good here. I do think they probably limit her a little bit too much to the kind of the exposition type character uh, because she's been in the quantum realm before. And so, you know, she's the one that when they go back down there, she's like has to explain what's going on or she, she's the one that has the knowledge. And so I think too often they go to her saying like, oh, this is this is what's going on. This is what's happening. And I, I wish they maybe showed a little bit more and uh, and told a little bit less, you know, show, don't tell kind of thing. And I think a little bit too much in this movie, they would tell and her, she would be the, the vessel that they would be telling the story with, you know. Hope Van Dyne and Hank Pym are both returning in this movie, and they're both good, you know, both the same characters that they were previously, uh, but they did take a little bit more of a backseat in favor of Scott and, and Cassie in this movie, and Janet Van Dyne and, and Kang the Conqueror, I guess, but, but I think they took a little bit more of a backseat, but they're still, you know, they're still good. Kang the Conqueror in here, as the villain, is awesome. Jonathan Majors plays Kang, and he is a fantastic villain in here. He he brings just this great intimidating presence, and but they also give him like some more kind of personal human kind of characteristics at times that uh, that makes you question him and his motives and stuff in interesting ways. I think I, I found his character fascinating, and the actor playing him here is just absolutely fantastic. I, I thought he was captivating the entire time that he was on the screen. Like, I am glad that this is the next big bad guy. Not only did they choose Kang the Conqueror, who, I'm, who I think is a cool villain in the first place, but then they got this actor that is doing this really great job with this character. Just fantastic. A question I did have going into this movie is that, like, okay, th this is Kang the Conqueror, this big, you know, world-ending villain, universe-ending villain. This is an Avengers-level threat, right? So how are they going to make him into an Ant-Man villain? Or how are they going to make an Ant-Man villain into the next, you know, Thanos, so to speak, you know? If he's such a threat to the entire Avengers team and the, the universe and the multiverse and all, all that kind of stuff, how is it that, you know, only Ant-Man is going to be any really major kind of rival to him? And for the most part, I think they make it work. I, I won't say how it all goes down, you know, but I, I think that they they toe the line there where he is very intimidating. He is definitely a character that you could see taking on the entirety of the Avengers and all this kind of stuff and, and being like a, a world-ending, universe-ending kind of threat. Uh, but also, they the, the way that they... 
uh, deal with him in this movie uh, is believable enough, I would say. It it, it worked for me. And I, I like the design of his character here. So if, if you've seen in Loki, I guess spoilers for the Loki TV show, uh, he shows up for a little bit, uh, part of one episode in Loki. Uh, he was fantastic in that, but he was just, he just looked like a dude, you know? He doesn't look like Kang the Conqueror from the comic books, you know? And so this movie... He, he still looks like just the dude, but then he has the outfit in this movie, and he's not blue in the comic books. He's blue and has, like, lines on his face and stuff. This one, they just made him look like a dude. They just made him look like the actor, which works. He still has, like, some lines on his face, which I don't know if those are scars or if those are actually just lines on his face because he's not human or something. Like, I, I don't know for sure. I don't know exactly. Either way, though, uh, I think that j just turning him into a human, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. They give him the look of Kang the Conqueror, and the blue face is like the, the face shield on his uh, spaceship or space outfit or whatever. So, honestly, I think that's cool. Honestly, I think that, that totally works. And then... Uh, you know, him being involved in the multiverse and everything, you can have the the real, like, comic book looking version and, you know, other versions and stuff as well. And when he has his whole uh, get up and everything, he, he looks pretty cool. Uh, the tone of this movie is way less goofy this time than the previous Ant-Man movies. The first two Ant-Man movies are pretty much the, the MCU's take on a comedy, uh, whereas this one is more serious. Well, you know, it still maintains some of that trademark MCU kind of kind of humor, you know. It's, it's still funny. Uh, Scott Lang is still a goofy guy, you know, and stuff like that. B but this one takes it a little bit more seriously. It's not giant Thomas the Tank Engines and stuff blowing up and stuff. It's, it takes it a little bit more seriously. And uh, honestly, I prefer it this way. Uh, you know, even though I, I enjoyed the previous ones, they are lower tier. This one, it, it takes itself a little bit more seriously, which is what I prefer in the MCU and, and I don't know, in general, I guess. The world building in here is great. So this is this is a quantum realm movie. It's pretty much all in the quantum realm. So it's it's pretty much entirely off world, quote unquote. Not not technically off world. It's technically on world, just really really small. But uh, but for all intents and purposes, for for what the quantum realm is, it is basically they are off world the entire movie. This very much has a Star Wars feel. There is a lot of uh, costumes and character designs and like creature designs in here that really feel like they came straight from Star Wars, which I think is interesting. But then they also kind of mix some like Guardians of the Galaxy kind of designs in there too. And then also there's some Doctor Strange stuff with kind of the surreal elements of that are in the quantum realm because they, they do some really weird trippy kind of visuals and stuff in this movie as well. So it's kind of a mixture of all of those things, which kind of creates for a whole unique experience that I enjoyed. Uh, the action scenes in here are great. Some of them definitely push into that surrealist elements in ways that, uh, that you really only see in like the Doctor Strange and now in the Ant-Man movie, which is like, that's, that's cool. I really liked that. Definitely bigger in scope. This movie is way bigger in scope than the previous Ant-Man movies, uh, in, in, almost every way, which I enjoyed. William Jackson Harper, whom I recognize as Cheaty from The Good Place, is in here. He's playing Quaz, uh, which it's a, it's a small role, but I, I really enjoyed his character. I thought he was really fun. Bill Murray in here a little bit too. Pretty fun. Uh, Modoc in here. So the, the, he just briefly showed up in the trailer, so I won't really say much about him, but... Uh, 
I don't know. I guess I'm kind of kind of mixed on him because there's I mean, there's some kind of CG issues with him that I was like, OK, I don't think he looks as good as he could look. Uh, but I don't know. I think they maybe did about as well as you can do with such a weirdo character like Modoc in live action. Like no matter what you're going to do with him, he's just kind of a weird, goofy thing that works better in comic books than he does in live action, you know, because it's just a weird thing. Uh, so I don't know. I, I guess I, I, there's some elements that I think they could have done better with him. I'll talk more about this when I get into the spoiler section after the review. But like, like I'm a little, I'm a little mixed on his character there. But it, you know, I don't know. I guess. What else are you going to do with MODOK, you know? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think I mentioned it before, but I, I think there's a... It's a bit too expo exposition-heavy at points here. Uh, there are decent chunks of the movie where they're just kind of telling you stuff that happened as opposed to really showing you. Like, I, I thought it would be would have been better had they uh, shown you some of these elements previously and then when some of the revelations and things happened, it would have been more, like, impactful or more like, whoa, you know... Yeah, you know, it, 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 just a bit too exposition-heavy, I think, at points in this movie. And again, that ties back to Michelle's Pfeiffer, Michelle Pfeiffer's character and her uh, just being used as an exposition-type character. And I think that's... The, the way the story could have been improved is really if they had worked on that a little bit more, I think. Uh, but this, ultimately, in my opinion, this is the best Ant-Man movie by far, pretty much. I mean, this this is, is very fun, more serious, taking the characters more seriously, and, and this is... I guess this is closer into tone to what I want to see out of future Ant-Man movies, assuming there's future Ant-Man movies. This is closer in tone and stuff to what I want to see from the future of Ant-Man than what we've gotten previously. Uh, it's not top-tier MCU. This went from, like, you know, it went from low-tier MCU with the first Ant-Mans to, like, mid-tier MCU. Good, fun stuff. I very much enjoyed it, but it's not the best of the bunch. It's just a good, solid MCU movie. You may not want her to watch this. We had a deal. You thought you could win. I don't have to win. We both just have to lose. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is rated PG-13 for violence, action, and language. I would give it a 4 out of 5 stars on the enjoyability scale. I'm sorry, Cassie. Okay, it's spoiler time for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. If you have not seen this movie, there's going to be spoilers following, so do or don't listen at your own peril. Okay. So I guess the biggest exposition thing that I'm talking about in the review here is... It is the the Kang flashbacks with Janet and uh, so, you know, you got... She comes down into this world and she is living and, and working with Kang and Kang the Conqueror. She doesn't know he's Kang the Conqueror. She just knows him as Kang or... Did she know him as Kang? Anyway, she knew him and she knew him as the, just this guy that was stuck down here. He's working on the ship. And then ultimately she like touches his engine uh, beam of electricity or power or whatever. And she can like see in his mind and she sees all the worlds that he's destroyed before and that he's 
been banished here by the other Kangs. Like, he's the Kang that's so bad that he's been banished away from the all the rest of the Kangs in the multiverse, which is so cool. Like, that's, the like, you know, the other Kangs may be bad guys, but this is the ultimate bad guy Kang that not even the other Kangs can get on board with. You know, it's like, that's a really cool idea right there. But all of that, the movie kind of just stops, and then, th- then Janet tells this whole story that lasts, like, it seems like it lasted a long time. I wish that that stuff was interspersed throughout, so we saw, like, a a few different flashbacks starting at the very beginning of the movie, because at the very beginning of the movie, you see Janet, she's in the quantum realm, they meet, he, like, crashes there, he's like, what in the world, and they meet, and then... Uh, And then it just flashes forward. We see the rest of the movie happen up until that point when she explains everything. I wish that they had kind of cut and interspersed some of that stuff out. So that way we're seeing kind of him built up as a, you know, innocent character or a good character. And then it's revealed of him being the villain and everything instead of, already saying, oh, he's the villain, he's the villain, he's the villain, and then it's just like, and here's the backstory of all this leading up to it, you know. I think they could have interspersed that throughout the movie, so that way the reveal of him being the conqueror and the destroyer of worlds and all this kind of stuff, it's not all just crammed into one section and it's kind of spread out a little bit more and they would show it, and again, show not tell, so they would show them working on the spaceship and and some of those kind of things as well. I think that aspect of it could have been done a little bit better. That said... You know, kind of showing him as a little bit more human kind of of a character in those scenes, I think, was well done. And it makes you kind of like him. And then he turns into this super evil, very intimidating, ultra powerful kind of character. And he is basically unstoppable for Ant-Man when, you know, like Ant-Man just did not have a chance once he got his powers back and stuff, you know. (laughs) And so... You know, they they kind of depowered him in this movie. They they depowered him or limited his power and stuff, so that way uh, Ant Man can fight him. Essentially, is what they did. So it's like okay, that that kind of works for that, while also setting him up as this ultra powerful villain for the future. You know, and they, the way they kill him is they shrink him down and stuff. Though he's that just means he's shrunk down somewhere else you know, again, somewhere else or something, you know, so, so he's not dead, he's just shrunk somewhere else, and they actually make kind of a joke out of that at the end of the movie, he's like, you know, he is dead, like, we did defeat him, right, he's not gonna come back, eh, well, just don't worry about it, you know, and it's, it's kind of a funny thing, but I think that that, that's pretty well done, the whole thing with the ants taking over, the ants are the ones that, like, kind of take him out at the very end is a little bit weird, the whole thing with the ant city, like, uh, very weird, you know, like, like, the ants, they're like, oh yeah, the ants, they, uh, they, they went through a different kind of portal, and they lived for millions of years, and now they're ultra-intelligent, which is like, okay, this is an Ant-Man movie, so I guess that makes sense, I guess, okay, kind of dumb, but also, it's like, I, I kind of just bought into it enough that it's like, eh, fine, fine enough, <laughs> but, but also, kind of a, a weird thing, you know, does, doesn't make a lot of sense, really, uh, <laughs> Modoc in here, okay, uh, so he is Darren from the first movie, or Yellow Jacket from the first movie, uh, shrunk down and he got all messed up and then Kang, I guess, fixed him enough and made him into the, the 
machine only designed for killing or something. I don't remember the the exact uh, acronym there. But when they said it, they said it earlier in the movie before they said Modoc, and I was like, oh hey, it's Modoc. That's that's who they're talking about. And then uh, then he's like, my name is Modoc. So it's like okay, they're they're naming them both. They're good. Uh, <laughs> The, I think the CG on the face, when the, the metal part flips up and it's just his face, I think it looks funky, it looks weird, it, it doesn't look that great, honestly. When when the when he's down in an armored mode and fighting, he looks cool and, and looks good in that, that way. I like the fact that it is Yellow Jacket from the first movie, giving him a little bit more to do, because he was a pretty bland, nothing villain in that first movie. Uh, and, and also just kind of tying it back to the first movie, this is the end of the, the trilogy here, I... I this is very well could be a series that just keeps going. They, they didn't end it in a way that it's like, this is the finish of this trilogy, you know. So they very well will probably continue assuming this does well, which I think it's doing well. But tying it back to the first movie kind of, I think, is a, is a good thing there. Uh, they do make him more goofy. They make him more of a joke than maybe they should have for MODOK fans. You know, I can't say I'm a particularly big MODOK fan. I just think it's kind of cool that they're bringing in this kind of weirdo character from the comics that is a fairly big villain from the comics and one that would be hard that that is hard to pull off in live action and uh so you know i, I don't know i kind of have mixed feelings on him because they did make him more goofy and stuff than than maybe they should have uh but he is the also the character that is the connection with the the redemption he is the character that is the villain in the first movie and he's being villainous here and then he is redeemed and uh you know, the, the Cassie says, hey, you don't have to keep being such a jerk, you know, or only a little bit harsher. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like, OK, you know, he's he's redeemed and he has his redemption story. And he's like, I, you know, I'm glad I'm finally a member of the Avengers. And the man's like, uh, yeah, I get, you made it. And that's good. <laughs> Funny, goofy. Uh, I think people might the fans big fans of Modak might be disappointed with the the way that they handle his character but I don't know I don't know how well you can do a character that is like that in live action you know the, the MCU has done some impressive things with comic book weirdness and done it well in live action but Modak is very much pushing the line of what you can do in adapting a uh, weird comic book idea into live action you know so are all these uh, people here living in the the quantum verse here? In the are they all micronauts? You know, is that is that what they are in the comic books? I don't know too much about the micronauts. I've heard of them, but I think they're like the the tiny universe living people. I assume that's who these people are. If if they're those characters from the comic books adapted right into here, I don't really know. But hey, that's pretty cool. I hope they did your favorite micronauts character good. You know, here I don't know. Uh, I liked the dude. That was like the light bulb on his head, you know? He, his head was like a light bulb and he had like an axe or something. What did he have? Anyway, that was cool. I thought that guy was really cool. Really cool design. And just kind of the, the general uh, group of people down there. I thought it was it was fun seeing all them, all the different designs. And some of those different characters were pretty well done. And so, yeah, there's some fun stuff down there. I like the, uh, the surreal elements here. So, like... Specifically, the coolest part to me probably is the is when Ant Man. There's like a million Ant Mans. It's all variants of him throughout time or choices that he would be making or whatnot. And then they all start crawling on each other like ants. And so Ant Man is like doing an ant thing of all kind of crawling on each other to get up high enough to get at this thing. And it's like that was really cool and weird and unique. And again, just this very surreal kind of 
thing, but it's uh, it, it worked and it was really fun and it was yeah it's just really cool. So two after credit scenes in this movie. Uh, so the first one you got the Council of Kang. You actually get a glimpse at the the Council of Kang. All the different Kangs from all the different universes are all coming together because the Ant Man or the Avengers or Earth or this universe anyway poses some threat on the rest of them, and so they're like, all right, we all got to get together and we got to go after this place, this universe. So we're going to go kill the Avengers. They're coming after us, you know, and this is cool. I like seeing all the, you know, glimpses of a ton of different Kangs and stuff like that. In that one, we also get a little bit more traditional uh, comic book looking version of Kang with the, the blue and the purple and the lines on the face and stuff like that. Pretty cool. Though again, honestly, I'm, I'm cool with them changing him to look more human for what I assume is going to be the main version of Kang, which is the, the version that was introduced in this movie, or technically introduced in, in Loki, uh, but then really kind of introduced in this movie to the to the most movie-going audiences, you know. Speaking of Loki, the second after credit scene, uh, we get a glimpse of Loki and uh, Mobius, Obi, uh, or Owen Wilson's character there. They're keep keeping track of one of the variants of King, and they're like, he's like in a circus performing stuff, and Owen Wilson's like, dude, I thought you said this guy was scary, and Loki's like, yeah, trust me, dude, he is. And uh, so, I mean, it's, it's kind of just basically a, a trailer for season two of Loki. I can't wait for season two of Loki, so you, Loki was an awesome, awesome series. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to watch it, because I don't have Disney Plus now, but uh, but I do want to watch that series when it comes out. But a fun tease there for the future of the MCU and for the future of that series. I think uh, definitely going to be diving more into Kang in that se second season of Loki, I guess. Um, yeah, cool. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so looking forward to that. Well, what did you think? What do you think of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Shoot me an email, helixreviewspodcast at gmail.com, and you can let me know. Uh, that's it for this time. Until next time, this is David at Helix Reviews, signing out. Bye-bye, guys. Fourteen.